0: Hello, everybody. My name is Dustin Pischel, and today's guest is Ed Krasnick. Ed is a producer, stand-up comedian, writer, development executive, podcaster, and actor. Ed has appeared on TV shows such as The Sopranos, Ellen, Kirby Enthusiasm, Hot in Cleveland, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, among many other hit TV shows. Ed is also an Emmy Award winner. Ed has... Ed is a producer and writer for TV shows such as On Air with Ryan Seacrest, Crashing, Wynn Stands Money, among many other amazing shows. Please welcome the amazing comedic genius, Ed Krasnick.
1: Well, I've never had anybody call me a genius. I also have the wrong microphone in, Dustin, oh. and I wonder if I can switch microphones. you think that's going to be okay?
0: Um, sure, absolutely.
1: Okay, hang on. Hang on, everybody. Hang with me. This is this is part of the genius right here. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. Let me see. Okay, i got to do this. I wasn't ready for this. I should have been ready. If you're it's a fine. professional, you're... If you're a true professional, you're ready. I want you to have good sound. I want you to have good thanks. sound. Hang on. This is probably going to be... This is probably going to be better sound for. You. Hello America. So Jeez. nice to
0: speak. What to you. what microphone is it's that? It's
1: whole new world. Um it's the um Audio Technica ATR
0: 2500. Oh cool. Um uh, I Can we do it? Now? I remember I want to get an Audio Technica no, and then I decided on a different micro well no, I didn't decide on a different microphone. I just saw it in the store, so I got another one. So um You
1: decided that it was a piece of crap, not for you. <laughs> not good enough for you is what you decided. Yeah, I used the yeah. blue
0: yeti. So, um I started off every episode by asking the comedian, What's the worst heckler you have ever had?
1: When a comedian comes on, I'll I'll ask him for you. Um, no, I the, the the worst heckle I ever had, um, probably, was in Texas. I used to do my my act did not travel well, nor did it do well anywhere really. But um, in Texas, I had a lot of people with ten uh, gallon hats, cowboy like people, uh-huh. and. They used to yell at me, and what I ended up doing was, it's not even a particular story about the worst heckler. What happened was, I stopped doing my act, and I started to make a, a talk show, and I would bring people out of the audience, and I had fake commercials, and I had fake, you know, I had bits ready to go, like little parody, little comedy bits, and I would interview them on stage, I would bring them on stage and it became like a forty five minute talk show and so that way i was able to be funny relax and they couldn't hate me because it was one of them up there Okay. With me. so i tried to do it that way but the worst heckling the scariest heckling thing i've performed from the mafia yeah. in las vegas And I saw the guy's gun in his pocket, like the the tracing, the outline of a gun. And, like, you know, instead of not paying attention to him, I actually started talking to him. And the owners, like, actually had to hide me at the end of the show because they were afraid he was going to come and shoot me.
0: Oh, my God. So that
1: that was one thing. And then the other one that was scary was in Curd Lane, Idaho, at the University of Idaho in Moscow, Idaho. The KKK. I don't know if you know who the Ku Klux Klan yeah, is. Yeah,
0: I do know about them.
1: Well, they were they were there and they were in the back of the room and they were yelling, you know, mm-hmm. get off stage, Jew boy.
0: Something. Uh, like like some people like how are people that evil and it's still like how to this day does that still exist like you would think that we live in such a like more of a civil era that like they wouldn't be around it's just crazy. well there's
1: no explanation except for the fact that you know that kind of racism it's a mental health problem yeah nobody ever talks about it like that but these people are not mentally well and so and there's a lot of people who aren't mentally well but they react out of their mental health issues and blame other people and you know they they react with violence and racism and but racism mm-hmm. is a mental health issue
0: yeah something so yeah well it's taught though like someone isn't born racist something i know right yeah something i noticed though Is that, like, if someone has, like, a trauma situation, they come out of two ways. They become more of a positive and good person out of it, or they don't cope with it, and they become a complete, like, monster. Well, not always a monster. They might have, like, they might be crying. It's either they are, like, depressed, or they're just, like, angry.
1: That You're describing a lot of my relatives at Passover right now. No, I'm (laughs) kidding, but... But they, but I will tell you, that's very wise of you to know at this age that it's about trauma. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is about people who have been traumatized in their lives and the way that they've been brought up. So it is something that's taught. That's right. That's very. That's a very wise thing for somebody of your age to know.
0: Yeah. Um. You actually, I heard that you did therapy for a while.
1: Uh, Not a while. if therapy could be converted to frequent flyer miles or rewards points, I'd be eligible for a free trip to Pluto. Mm-hmm. I would be on Pluto right now. I've had a lot of therapy. It started when I was a kid. It started when I was like in ninth grade, I want to say. Had some family issues and started seeing a counselor at that age, a school counselor. And then it continued off and on. I haven't really seen a therapist in a while, uh, but I have done a lot of different kinds of therapy, too. I've seen cognitive therapists. I've seen traditional therapists. I've seen therapists where you lie on a couch and they sit behind you. Mm. I've been been on Dr. Katz, professional therapist. Um, He's a very good friend of mine, Jonathan. I've done therapy with him. Uh, I've done all kinds of self-help stuff and was always interested in it. And now what I do with my life is I try to unite mental health and comedy. I try to we we have shows that teach. I have a show called the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I have a show called Dear Anger, which is all about how people relate to their anger, their relationship with anger. But I do these shows with professional therapists. I'm the before and they're the after. I'm the comedic guy and they are the experts. And we have comedians and entertainers and they come on and they practice skills they practice mental health skills Mm -hmm. so we teach them so i believe that the comedians are the answer to mental health that they can actually teach skills and help people and make them laugh in the meantime
0: yeah that's the idea like um i do read some self-help books like um i've well i haven't completed the seven habits book but like I've, I have some self help books. Like I don't know. Like when I was in sixth grade, I went through like, I wanted to um start like the new Comedy Central. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be um more of a TV producer, writer, and stand up comedian.
1: Okay. Yeah. I feel you're gonna be. Do you know who Judd Apatow is? Yeah. I think you're going to be the next Judd Apatow. Thank you.
0: Yeah, Um. I've always been, like, actually, Um. am holding... I'm actually, um, this... I'm actually, I'm holding my iPad, which I'm... Um. Well, which you can see me through right now. I'm actually, um... The thing that's holding up right now is sick in the head.
1: Oh! Yeah, um, of course. Of course. Do you like that book?
0: Yeah, um, it was a great book. Like, something I liked about it was, like... Every now and then, like, it wasn't too often, but every now and then, you would see this, like, tip that just, like, was, like, this, like... It was, like, just a gold tip, like, um... Like, I have, like... So, Judd App So, I like to write every day, and I have this emotive... He did this master class. um Are you familiar with that company? Very familiar. Yeah. Yep. So, um, I, uh, um, watched his math... Whoa... I watched the stand-up portion of his master class. I should start watching the other portion. And in it, he said, like, you have to write every day, Um, sit your ass down every day and write jokes. So um, I actually recorded, like, a two-minute thing of him saying that, and that's, like, every day I watch that to, like, so I'm motivated to write jokes.
1: Well, I think we need to send this to him. I know Judd really well. Oh. Let's send this to him. Let's see if he'll come on your show.
0: Oh my god, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I mean, he's sort of like one of those, like... Every, like... I feel like every com- comedian... Well, oh, thank you so much. But, like, I feel like everyone has someone that just, like, did, does what they want to do. Like, um, who inspired you? What comedians?
1: Well, I was inspired... The first one was George Carlin, and now I know his daughter Kelly, but I, didn't, I, I only worked with him once on radio, and, uh, but when I was a kid, I was 13 years old, and I had my bar mitzvah in, in Boston, Dorchester, and, and my parents gave me a stereo and a tape of two comedians. One was Don Rickles, and the other one was George Carlin, FM and AM. And it was a great, it was a tape because it was a long time ago when I was a kid. And I just loved it. I I just loved his kind of comedy. So that was like the first one. And then I'd say that the other one was really Woody Allen. And then the other one was uh was uh, Richard Lewis. Mm-hmm. And Richard Lewis talked a lot about therapy yeah. and had just amazing jokes. Mm-hmm. And so I remember sitting up in bed watching him and just dying with, with laughter. And then there were other comedians that I remember from when I was a little, a little kid, Rickles, of course, Kippa Dada was a comedian that I remember coming on talk shows, David Brenner. I, see, you know, I went to see these people with my mom, uh, but I, I mean, I loved comedians from the time I was a little kid, but I never really thought I was, I never really wanted to be a comedian. Um. But I ended up being a comedian because I didn't go into it to make people laugh. I knew I could make people laugh. I just wanted to express myself. I thought that if I could be really myself on stage, that was like gonna be a good key for me in life so that's why I wanted to you know I wanted to be myself on stage and when I was a little kid, I did impressions I did hundreds of voices and I was too shy to look at anybody. So what I would do is I would go in the closet and I would close the door and the family members would gather their chairs around the outside of the closet and they'd sit down. And I would do a show for them, but through the closet door. So that's you know that's kind of how I'd start. And then we had Irish Catholic neighbors and I used to do impressions of like local people. There was a guy named Cardinal mm-hmm. Cushing. He was a local religious figure in Boston and I did the impression and the lady next door was Irish Catholic said, "Surely I know this is a bizarre question to be asking you, but was the cardinal at your house the other day? Mm-hmm. My mother said, no, that's my idiot kid! Uh-huh. That's my stupid kid! He does impressions! <laughs> my mother was amazing, a very funny person. Yeah, Taught me how to tell stories. And, but anyway, it was, it was voices, you know, I did voices.
0: Yeah, um, something like, um, yeah, I've, um, I used to not really be that funny, but, um, I started wanting to be funny in, like, third grade, Uh, what, no, third, yeah, fourth grade, um, so, I have autism, so I don't have the best social skills or whatever, so I thought, basically, my idea of good social skills was just making people laugh back then, so, um, every day at the bus stop, I would try to think of something funny. A lot of the stuff was just really weird and random, but then I just got better, and then eventually, um, then I wanted to be a comedian in fifth grade, then in seventh grade I started writing jokes, and now I'm going in, now I'm in eighth grade.
1: How does comedy help you deal with your autism?
0: Uh, well, it's sort of like, it's something that I sort of feel like a spokesperson like don't give me sympathy but like at least acknowledge that i have autism and like that's harder for me to do something because like i think i like to make a lot of jokes about it because i don't know it's just like it's something it's different like you don't see a comedian talk about autism every day
1: right 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 what um what, um, what do you feel that the fact that you have a different, maybe, perspective on things, different view of things, is, does that help your comedy?
0: I think absolutely, like, I mean, I've only, well, I've only been really, I want to be a stand-up comedian from 5th to 6th grade, but I only started doing everything, like, 14 months ago, so, like, right off the bat, I was developing a point of view, I had, sort of poise i think you would say because like i was sort of like i'm a sort of a grumpy old man that has i'm sort of hyperactive as well Mm. so it's sort of something i'm still working on it but i think i'm sort of close to getting it nailed down
1: how do you how do you describe your comedy like what kind of comedy is it is it jokes is it um, stories? Yeah. Is it talking about your personal
0: life? Um, I like to talk about my personal life a lot, and stories, I do like to do some observational. I don't want to stick to just one subject of stamp comedy, stories, or stick to observations, because I want to write about what if I want to write about, I don't want to stick to one thing. But it's mostly stories and observations, um... Yeah. Do you
1: tell the audience when you perform, do you say, I have autism?
0: Um, only if it comes up in a joke.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Um, interesting, interesting. And, and how do you deal with, you know, what are, how do you deal with um, making, is, is autism, is your perspective a strength? In other words, has, has autism brought you gifts?
0: Yeah, has it brought well, you... Yeah, go
1: ahead.
0: Yeah, okay, thank you. Because, like, something about autism is you um have, like... You are really, like, you don't have a lot of interests. They're sort of narrowed down. So, and the interest you are in, you're, like, hyperly interested in that. So I think that makes me more interested in comedy. And... I think as a result of having autism, I'm hurt on myself, which I think is mostly a good thing. I know everybody's like, don't be hurt on yourself, but at the end of the day, that's sort of, like, it's sort of, like, getting you better. I mean, it's not, it's sort of healthy, but sort of not. So, um, a lot of, I have, um, everyone with autism, it seems, like, has a distinctive, um, point of view, just, like, as a regular, just as a person. So I already have a distinct point of view already off the bat. So
1: that's like one of the biggest things that they yeah. try to teach people going into comedy. Mm-hmm. What is your point of view? Yeah. And, and, how, and how, do you, how do you create jokes from that? Mm-hmm. So you really have that. Yeah. You really have a very strong... You know, mm-hmm. you, you know how you relate and you know what you're talking about. and You have an awareness of yourself that maybe yeah. other people don't have.
0: Yeah, so, um, what was it, like, um, I'm a big fan of Larry David, um, because I do a lot of absurd humor, and he's sort of, like, the king, because, like, the stuff in Kirby Enthusiasm, it's, like, it should, it, it's so crazy, like, and also with Seinfeld, like, they get into fights with people, it seems like it should come from an animated sitcom, because it's so crazy, that's what makes it so funny, so, What was it like appearing on Kobe Enthusiasm? Fantastic. It was such a great experience. I didn't know Larry before I really appeared on the show.
1: I got the thing through an old friend of mine, Jeff Garland, who plays his manager, Mm -hmm. Jeff, on the show. And Jeff asked me to come on. And so my experience with it, well, first of all, I was on very early on the show, before they really knew what it was. And I played his writing partner. Ooh. I had an office next to his, and the idea was that and it, it, Bob Whitey, who is a great director and have, has become you know a very prolific director, directed all the Curb Your Enthusiasm. And has directed you know films on Lenny Bruce and Woody Allen and all these people. He had just a little camera, single camera, and you know the scripts for Curb Your Enthusiasm are highly detailed polished very intricate outlines with no dialogue but with very funny scenes and very specific if you read the script it would be like a ten or fifteen page outline and you would laugh at the scenarios mm-hmm. that are in the in the outline but there are no dialogue yeah. you make up the dialogue and so at that time because it was it was really the pilot of the show they, um, they really wanted Larry to be straight And to not laugh in the show And so when he came into my office One of the scenes was he came into my office I had a different thing going on like every time And the idea was that we had a mutual friend Whose father died And I was going to go to the shiva and larry did not want to go to the shiva and i had to convince him Mm -hmm. to go to the shiva and he said i won't go to the shiva because mourners don't like me (laughs) so i had to convince him so every time he came into my office i had a different thing one time i had like 12 little pieces of bread like cut up little pieces of bread and he comes in and i said larry don't even ask this is a diet that is beyond the zone it's not even the zone it's beyond the zone then he come in another time i'd have another thing so, every time he came in he would laugh
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and I thought they were going to use it, and they ended up cutting all of it out, yeah so to me, the funniest things were cut out. We had a blast, we had two scenes together, and we had a great time and ever and, and, and then I started talking to him all the time, and he would call me on the phone and i 'd make him laugh. I, I found it very easy to make Larry David laugh,
0: yeah, Some... funny people.
1: Funny people are easy to make laugh Like if they're really funny You can make them laugh Like Mel Brooks, really funny, you can make him laugh mm-hmm. Jonathan Katz, really funny You can make him laugh Like people who are really funny Like to laugh Howie Mandela is a friend of mine can make him laugh yeah. Robin Williams, you can make laugh Yeah, it's funny how that is You would think no But most mm-hmm. really funny people If you're funny with them You can make them laugh yeah. So that was, like, more fun to me than actually doing stand-up on a stage, was going out after the show with other comedians and making them laugh.
0: Yeah, something like, comedians, like, so if I don't get a lot, like, that's not only really, really, I don't find a lot of people funny, but, like, just a lot of times, like, if I'm having a conversation with a comedian, it it, it, it can be really funny,
1: yeah, to some to some people have a sense of humor. You know, there are some comedians who are successful who know how to make people laugh. It's a yeah. technique, it's a skill. But they may not be the funniest people in the world. But then some people are just extremely funny and maybe not as aware on stage. But you have a comedian like Don, you know, there's different styles, right? So, you know, Chris Rock is funny being himself he's funny but he also really knows how to create a joke and how to craft a joke and how to perform a joke um but then there's people like don rickles was like one in a million he was an insult comic and that was his personality that was his style of humor and so he had certain areas that he would connect with certain themes but he really would improvise you know a lot of it was improvisation yeah, um, so that's kind of unusual, and that people didn't understand what he was doing. He was insulting people, and there was no—it wasn't the style at the time, so he got fired a lot.
0: Yeah. Um. And, oh, you can go ahead. Sorry.
1: No, it's just be—it's just how people create their style. And then Jonathan Katz told me something. He said, "You know, I'm not—I'm not really for everybody. You know, you think you're supposed to be for everybody. You're not for everybody. You're." You be yourself, and you'll find the audience that will connect with you. Yeah,
0: you have to write what you think is funny, not what you think the audience is funny. What you think the audience will think. Always.
1: Always. And and usually you start out, you're copying other people, but you have a leg up in that you might have a lot of influences. I know you're interested in a lot of different Mm -hmm. people, but you also have a very keen sense of yourself. at a young age, so that's gonna help you a lot. Yeah,
0: something, like, you should be strongly influenced by comedians, but you shouldn't be a copycat. Like, you can get topics, like, um, I'm a big fan of Cat Williams. He has this funny joke about how he was, like, um, he had this joke about, um, like, a lot of times, comedians will choose funny topics to talk about. That's a Jerry Seinfeld rule. The first thing you want to do is choose something funny, an idea. Right. So, You can, like... If a comedian's talking to... Cat Williams was talking about, um... The cro... The... I forget if, Yeah, the crocodile man, or... The guy that hunted... The guy that, like, tackled crocodiles on the... On TV. He died in 2005.
1: Right.
0: I forget Steve the... Irwin. Yeah, yeah, Steve, Steve Irwin. Yeah, Steve Irwin. So... Um, I didn't create a joke that was similar. Um, he did a joke about how, um... Like, how you just tackle the people, and then I was writing another joke about how my brother um has an afro like it's not like I would be fine if it was a well kept afro, but like at some point it's there's a bunch of hair at other points he's like going bald, it's just like it's a mess <laughs> yeah. so yeah well, i am, yeah, well,
1: there's always one joke in a comics act, like even if a comic is not a great comic, mm-hmm. sometimes there's one joke. That they have And that's usually The case And there was a guy He actually was A very good comic And a good writer He was in Boston and His name was Matt Graham I don't know What happened to him But I know He was a Scrabble champion I know he was Like a word guy But he had The greatest joke To me One joke And it was My father's A manic depressive Got a postcard From, from Florida Having a wonderful time Wish I were dead <laughs> And that is a great joke. To me, like a one-line joke has a very strong point of view. It's kind of dark. But it's, you know, to me that was very funny. Um, Years, years ago, um, I'm trying to remember, like, I'm not a very good joke teller. Like, my mother was a great joke teller. Kevin Pollack is a friend of mine. He's a good joke teller. Um, I'm not really not a joke teller. I'm really a storyteller. Who tells Mm -hmm. funny anecdotes along the way You know, with colors them in real specific ways I have very strong memories And, you know, Mm -hmm. poke fun at myself a lot You know, really, really self-deprecating The thing about it is You can poke fun at yourself Mm -hmm. It is very funny You don't want to live that way You don't want to believe the things that you say about yourself You know, you want to say good things to yourself In your head Mm-hmm. so that's been a challenge for me but now i'm learning you know through mental health i'm learning you know that i how i talk to myself matters yeah right what i say to myself matters
0: yeah something um the um you shouldn't like um a lot of the stuff you say about yourself is like if comedians actually acted like how we did in our sets we would be awful human beings but those are just us ex- exaggerated to, an ins- like, ten times us. Like, they're just exaggerated versions of us. That's
1: right. That's right. That's right. And the more you can show of yourself on stage, the better it is. The more you show to the audience and the more real you are. You know, it's hard to believe. I think one of the things that was really hard for me to believe is that you don't have to be fast on stage. You can take your time. You can actually You know what a a comedian's friend is? Silence Oh yeah yeah. Like when I interviewed Bob Newhart He was a guy who stammered He stuttered And he would set up the punchline by stuttering And then the longer Mm. the stutter The longer the laugh would be on the other end Mm. So he was using pausing And I think the older generations of comedians Really knew that silence was their friend Not something to run away
0: from yeah, cause you want to have like Dave Chappelle when you see him performing the audience is hanging on, anticipating to every word he's gonna say.
1: Right, right, and people like him are so great to watch. Are so brilliant. Mm-hmm. He's he takes his time. He's a human being on stage. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a big, powerful thing to make a statement. To be human on yeah. a stage.
0: He's so authentic. You know?
1: so authentic that's right you find your authentic you know you want to have a strong point of view but it's got to be your you know connected to who you are Mm
0: -hmm. you
1: know I did I did know people who did character comedians where they take on a different character sometimes you outgrow your character like Bob Mm Goldthwaite, I know Bobcat you know he he, he sort of outgrew his character Mm -hmm. he's such a smart guy not that his character wasn't but sometimes you can get you know, caught up in it. Sometimes a comedian will find uh, a rhythm that works, and then they think that that's the rhythm that they should use. But it's not. They kind of outgrow it. So you can do that too. I mean, it's you know, it's a changing thing. It changes who you are. But you want to be the most yourself you can be. That's what a comedian should be on a stage. that you be more of yourself? More and more and more and more and more of yourself. You know, so all the different elements, I mean, whether you're a joke teller or not, it really has to come from who you are.
0: Yeah, um, it's sort of like, what was I gonna say? It's so crazy how many, like, um, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, like Sam Kennison, like, he he sort of became his character. Well, I mean, Sam... Sam Kent, well, I don't know, because, like, well, yeah, he became his character ever since he got started in drugs, like, so, like, if you start, like, trying to act like your character 24-7, you might turn into your character. Yeah, I could see how that would happen. Sam Kennison mm-hmm. was one of my favorite comedians of all time, yeah. because everything that he said, he felt. Mm-hmm.
1: So he wasn't just saying lines, he felt what he was talking about, because he was a teenage preacher. So he started with the skills of a preacher, and then he applied it to stand-up comedy, and so it was so powerful. And I went to see him, when he first started, came to San Francisco, was on the Rodney Dangerfield special, people had seen him, but they didn't. most people didn't know who he was, and he came to San Francisco and half the audience left more than half Oh yeah. they were so offended they walked out right there gone and i came back every night i wasn't doing stand-up at the time and robin williams would come in halfway through his set and they would do like an hour of improv together so this was every night for two weeks i paid to go see him and then i followed him i never worked with him unfortunately but sam kennison to me was really because when you went to see him, you had an experience. It wasn't like you're watching a show. You actually felt something. Mm-hmm. The other guy who was great came from that whole Houston Outlaw comic uh, community, and that was Bill Hicks, a guy named Bill Hicks. Yeah. And Bill, you should watch Bill if you haven't seen him, watch his mm-hmm. stuff. He's a genius. Another guy who felt what he talked about. He wasn't. He wasn't disconnected. He was very mm-hmm. connected to what he what he spoke about on, on a stage but Sam Kinison was the best to me I've shown him to my daughter I've shown her clips mm-hmm. of his stuff my daughter's 16 now but yeah. Sam Kinison was if you haven't seen Sam Kinison you go back and watch
0: Sam Kinnison. oh yeah I have like he's hilarious I mean he he was a good person I think in the beginning but like I still hold a bit of like anger towards him because he sort of I feel like he's took all the Hollywood life for granted, like uh, that doesn't feel right to me. But he's a comedic genius.
1: Comedic genius. Well, people are very yeah. vulnerable, you know, and they've had they've had trauma in their yeah. lives, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I mean, it's one thing like you mm-hmm. talking about uh, your your. That you have autism It's certainly not who you are But you have mm-hmm. autism But I'm going to be willing to bet That it's been a challenge for you
0: Absolutely in aspects,
1: Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah Right? Um, so you have, a, you have a wisdom And you have a way But this adds to your ability To tell stories mm-hmm. and to your comedy And with Sam Kennison And with a lot of comedians Not all But a lot of comedians it's, it's a way for them to deal with You know traumatic things And difficult things Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the phone ringing right now That's probably oh, okay. Sam Kennison
0: <laughs> Yeah Because he has a
1: very, very good phone po- phone plan yeah. And he's not with us Your phone yeah, okay. plan increases anyway.
0: <laughs> Yeah So um Wait do you want to get your phone?
1: I don't Because oh, okay. if it's Sam he's going to yell at me scream. <laughs> yeah. Now Dustin I have to get going okay. um, I'm sorry I don't have oh, More time fine. today But Um, I will say to you, I'm going to do two things for you. One is I'm going to get, when you get me the tape of of Mm -hmm. what we recorded, um, I'm going to get it to Judd Apatow. Oh, my God.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Oh, sure. And then with your permission, I'd like to play a clip of what we talked about. I'll share the clip with you so you can okay it. Yeah. i like to play it on play it on my show because I think it's pretty, yeah. pretty damn and pretty damn interesting yeah. actually. Um,
0: uh, I mean, you okay. don't have to show it to me before I'll listen to the podcast after. Afterwards. But then you're
1: but then you're gonna sue me. You'll take <laughs> me to court yeah. and probably sue me. It'll probably be in the news. Do you think?
0: Yeah. Well, I remember once. Ha- yeah, I think I've to a few. F- like I sometimes jokingly. Directing people, but I think I don't know. Someone might have taken it seriously. I threatened to sue my gym teacher once.
1: Well, you should. <laughs> That's probably a good instinct to follow. Most gym teachers should be sued. In <laughs> yeah, some aspect.
0: I'm joking. Like, no, I'm joking.
1: I'm not joking. Mm-hmm. Maybe there should be a gym, a thing called Gym Teachers Court, and it's where you actually kids come back to actually get to sue their teachers yeah. or sue the the teachers that they to provide trauma in their lives. Maybe trauma court, trauma but it's like court. it's with teachers and kids who bullied. You know, you bring them back and yeah. later in life, and you get to torture them or something. Yeah. No, that's not what you want to do. You don't want to torture anybody, yeah, especially yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. well, just uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, hey, I'm gonna uh head out, but listen, you are an inspiration Thank to you. me, absolute inspiration. We will stay in touch. You will let me know what's going on in your life. I don't know why I'm screaming at you. (laughs) But but you'll let me know. And uh, we will do this again. Okay?
0: Okay. Goodbye and have a fantastic day.